Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about a couple of conditions that like to hang out with OCD. And OCD loves to hijack other conditions and it also likes to hang out with other conditions. And that is the case when we're talking about misophonia and misokinesia. And a lot of people may not know what either of those are, or they may know what misophonia is, but not what misokinesia is. And they often go hand in hand. So always trying to educate you on the things that are incredibly common side dishes of anxiety or OCD so that we can understand the struggles that our kids are going through and even our own self. You might learn something about yourself today. But before we dive into this, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the U.S. and thankfully also outside of the U.S., filling in those gaps, which we so desperately need. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And I will leave a link in the show notes as well. So let's dive into this. I'm going to start off with explaining what misophonia is, then misokinesia, and then you should hopefully know what OCD is, but we'll, we'll define that as well. And then after the break in the second half of this episode, we're going to talk about how they impact each other and how to separate that out so that you can make some progress. Because I think often we're treating these things the same and they need to be treated differently in my opinion. And that can cause some additional stress to our kids when when we're treating misophonia and misokinesia as OCD. And also sometimes not recognizing the OCD component and only treating it as misophonia or misokinesia. So it can go both ways. So let's dive into this, misophonia. More people have probably heard of that than they have heard of misokinesia, but misophonia in the most simplistic definition I can give you is sound rage. It is hearing a a particular type of sound, feeling a rage response. And I struggle with misophonia myself. And so I can speak about this on a very personal level that it creates a rage in me that I don't want to own and I don't know where it comes from. And so it's very confusing. It can be very overwhelming and it can also impact your relationships because you like, you get so angry at the person who's making that sound. And you may even want to avoid that person who's making that sound because it is so triggering and so overwhelming. And so that's where the OCD comes in. And we're going to talk about that after the break. But a lot of times people misunderstand misophonia and they think, well, my child's sensitive to sound. So maybe they have misophonia or I'm sensitive to sound. It's not about being sensitive to sound. It's not about the volume of sound. It's not about how loud or startling the sound is. It is about particular sounds that trigger that rage response. Um, Some people wouldn't call it rage. Some people might say, I don't get angry. I get really sad or I get really, really anxious or I have an anxiety attack. Um, A lot of us get rage. I get rage. I don't really get sad. I get really angry, but everybody is different, but it is that really strong emotional reaction that is so overwhelming that you feel like you can't handle or you can't really control. That is a component to misophonia. 
And the sounds can actually be quite quiet. They don't have to be, they're not, they're not loud sounds per se. They can feel magnified in your ear for sure, but they aren't about volume. And so some common misophonia triggers are mouth sounds. So this can be people swallowing, people chewing with their mouth open or gulping. Oh my gosh, the gulping that really, really triggers my misophonia. Um, it can be, you know, their teeth scraping on metal utensils. It could be kissing sounds. So really anything having to do with the mouth can be overwhelming. For me, it's wet sounds, things that are wet. And so even sneezes that sound wet, or um, for some people it's sniffling or when people are breathing hard can be a trigger. Everyone with misophonia has different trigger sounds, but there are some categories that are very common with, within that. So mouth sounds, noise, uh, nose sounds, but getting outside of the, the face, there are other sounds that also trigger a lot of us with misophonia, including like water sounds. So dripping, dripping sounds really upset me or overwhelm me. Clicking sounds can be really, really hard. So that someone clicking on a keyboard, um, someone clipping, clicking a mouse, someone clicking a game controller, someone clicking or tapping their fingers, someone clicking the top of a pen back, you know, up and down. So those are just some examples. It can be different for each person, but the important thing to remember is it's a, a triggering sound and, and not, I think I, I think you get my point. I don't know why I keep going over this, but I think it's because it's misunderstood so much. So the first step when you have misophonia is really recognizing what sounds trigger you. Because I know for me, it took me a long time before anyone really heard of misophonia or talked about it. I was like, I just thought I was easily annoyed. And sometimes you can also externalize it and feel like people just don't know how to eat right. Like what's wrong with people? And you can just really blame the person who's making the noise and be like, you're just gross. Like you don't know how to eat with your mouth closed. Even if they are, we can really blame the targeted person and feel really angry at them for not holding it together more. <laughs> but really the issue lies with us that we will hyper-focus on that sound. It's almost like it gets louder and that's all we can hear once our brain hones in on it. It's like a heat-seeking missile. Once it hears that sound and it locks in, it's very hard to unlock it. And so a lot of times working with misophonia with myself and when I've worked with kids in my practice with misophonia, it's all about blocking how can I block sound? And which is the antithesis of what we do with OCD, right? That seems like an accommodation. It doesn't sound like something that would be helpful. But really with misophonia, if I see someone starting to eat near me, and unfortunately we have an open living room floor plan where the the kitchen and the breakfast bar is like right up against the couch and, you know, the living room. And then the dining room is right there. It's all open. And so I can hear anyone eating a mile away and my son also has his keyboard right there. So he's clicking away. That doesn't really bother me nearly as much as the eating. When I see that, I have to put my AirPods in because instead of like seeing if I can manage it and build up that rage and then eventually snapping at them, I rather proactively put in AirPods and block that sound so that I'm not triggered. And a lot of times I would have kids, you know, eat at the table and put in AirPods and parents would get upset. Like, well, I want them to participate in, you know, the conversation at the, you know, the dining room or whatever. And it's like the amount of torture 
for that child or that teenager to sit at that table while you guys are eating is overwhelming. And so if they're able to participate by physically being there, but they have to wear AirPods, that's a great accommodation so that they can still be part of the family. So that's misophonia. And a lot of the work that comes with misophonia is teaching people to recognize their sound triggers, teaching them to learn how to protect their ears and avoid triggers, but not avoid, we want to live life, right? So how can I be in the situation and avoid that really strong emotional response that I'm going to have? And how can I eventually not blame other people and expect other people to accommodate my misophonia because it can hijack families and dominate, you know, the family rules. And it can also make you, like I said before, target a family member and just be like, you don't know how to eat or you swallow too loud or you breathe too loud. And it can really impact our relationship. And so part of it is education to say, it's not them. It's a me thing. Um, I tend to think my kids are gross and that they eat with their mouth open. And I know one, two of my kids for sure eats in a louder way than the average human being. (laughs) One says it's because of his braces and the other one, she has a lot of oral sense sensory stuff. And so she's always eaten really loud, but so I know they are above and beyond the typical, but it's still not their fault. And me yelling at them, isn't going to help. Um, you know, they get nervous to eat around me because in the past I would just be yelling nonstop, like eat with your mouth closed or you know, now I realize I just have to put my AirPods in and, and that's not enough. Sometimes, sometimes I actually have to put some brainwaves on or music so that it tunes it out. I like brainwaves because it's, you know, it's calming Delta waves or it's calming waves over music. And so it's, it's an added bonus to kind of calm my nervous system. And you can find that, like I use brainwaves, which is an app, but I mean, you can type in brainwaves on any app and and like Google play or Apple and you'll find apps that do that. And I find that to be actually very soothing and comforting. You can teach your kids to do that too. It's all about owning your struggles. So that's misophonia. And there has been some new research in the last, I would say five to 10 years on misophonia. It is unfortunate that it is not in the DSM. It is not in the ICD. And so there's no classification for misophonia and there's no diagnostic code for misophonia. And so it's hard to treat and hard to, you know, hard to diagnose because the, the kind of the Bibles of diagnoses are not recognizing it as such. And hopefully that will change. There has been research in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years on misophonia that has come out that has really helped see that this is a brain disorder, that there is a part of the brain that's hyperactive. Initially, there was some research that was coming out that was saying that there was like this hyperactivity between the auditory cortex and the orofacial motor cortex that made researchers think that it was actually caused by orofacial mirror neurons. Mirror neurons actually make you feel like what other people are experiencing, and which is a great survival tool physiologically that my body will catch on to what your body is doing so that if we're in danger and we're a tribe and we're cavemen and you see the lion and I don't, we're all going to run because my mirror neurons are like, oh, we're having a, something's happening and we're all going to run. We're all going to feel that fear or that overwhelm as a tribe makes sense. So mirror neurons are actually very interesting in general, but um, there was this speculation that that orofacial mirror neurons are happening. So when you see someone with their mouth open, 
because a lot of times it's the visual component too, like seeing their mouth. And I will find myself hyper-focusing on watching their mouth when they're making that noise and getting angrier and angrier, looking at their mouth and being like, err, it's their mouth, <laughs> you know? And I know it's irrational. So you can't rationalize your way out of this. It's like a real visceral feeling. There has been new research rather recently that says, we don't think it's actually the orofacial area because they did some research where it wasn't the mouth or the nose. They had people tapping their finger and those people with misophonia had a similar response, but the activity, the hyperactivity was in the insula. Um, Not that you need a biology lesson, but I do find all this stuff really fascinating because it's all in the brain. And so the insula causes disgust. And so insula is kind of implicated in that overwhelm of disgust that we actually see in OCD as well. Very interesting. Um, And there is some argument about disgust OCD. Is that actually happening in the basal ganglia or is that one actually in the insula and maybe even kind of a unique aspect of OCD? I think OCD comes in many flavors and many biological flavors. I don't think there's one origin and one cause of OCD. And I think the themes give us a little window into what's going on in the brain. And so that actually makes a lot of sense to me. It's all really new research. I don't, it's not like I keep up with the misophonia research ongoing, but I did double check the research before I did this episode to just be like, what is going on in the world of misophonia research? That does make sense because there is this overwhelm of disgust with misophonia. And you can see that overlap with OCD because it's a overactivity in the insula that causes a lot of that disgust OCD, which is separate from the basal ganglia, which is kind of where everything else is implicated. So moving on from misophonia, we have misokinesia, which actually ties into this research a little bit because misokinesia is very similar to misophonia, but it's about movement. And so I was noticing in my practice that a lot of the kids that were coming to me with misophonia were also very annoyed by movement. And this was like back 16 years ago where I don't really believe that there, I don't even think I ever heard of the the term misokinesia until, you know, rather recently, but it was something that I noticed as a pattern a really long time ago. So I think these things existed, but they didn't have names and there was not research around it, but it was very common for people who were annoyed by sound to also be annoyed and, and triggered with rage by movement. And so movement, similar to misophonia, can be a, a lot of different things, but it was, there are some common categories that I saw that I actually realized that I have this too. Not that I'm like a, me too, I have everything. These issues are definitely alive and kicking in my brain for sure. And so with misokinesia, it might be that someone's tapping, right? And so that kind of goes back to that research that they did where the tapping was actually causing some activity in the insula. It could be a foot moving, right? So kind of a foot, like moving back and forth or, you know, like that knee bouncing up and down when someone's kind of jittery or for me, someone bouncing a ball. Oh my gosh, that drives me nuts. We had a rule in my house growing up when my kids were growing up, like no balls in the house. Part of it was like, I didn't want them to break anything, but a big part of it was the sound of bouncing and seeing it in my peripheral vision was very anxiety producing for me. Now, interesting for me, movement causes anxiety for me and the sound causes rage. And so it's different reaction for me, depending on what it is. So I get the disgust and the rage. I don't get that. I get more the anxiety around the movement. So there is 
much less research. There's barely any research on misophonia and there's even less research on misokinesia, but they are seeing a relationship. They just don't know what it is. I actually feel like misokinesia causes more stress and anxiety. Um, and I, I'm not seeing antidotally with other people that it's causing the disgust feeling. It's just like overwhelm. And so I've worked with kids where they can't focus in school and they can't focus, you know, at a meeting or they can't focus or they get really angry with their family members because they're bobbing their foot up and down or they are tapping their hand. And I do notice that for me, I'm always telling my kids like, stop, stop doing that with your hand um, or stop moving your foot. Or when they're like moving their knee up and down, it really bothers me. And I'll be like, stop doing that. It is, I guess, irritating, but it is also, it's an overwhelm and it might be different for each person. So those two often go hand in hand. One thing that I've seen with a lot of kids with misophonia and misokinesia is also the uncomfortable feeling around touching paper. I've seen that quite a few times. The sound of paper, touching paper tends to be a trigger that I hear. And so we are in the early ages of really understanding these things. But what we do see is that these things pair up often with OCD. Why that is? I don't know. <laughs> I would be lo- I would love to know. OCD is often the the parts of the brain that are implicated with OCD are the orbitofrontal cortex and the basal ganglia, you know, and that circuitry that goes back and forth. Um, we've got a cortex that's implicated with misophonia. I don't know where the overlap is, but it's got to be there somewhere because you see the comorbid condition a lot, which is interesting. And it, I think it would be a great research study. I don't know if it's been done yet to see what types of OCD themes come with misophonia and misokinesia. Are they mainly discussed OCD themes? That would make sense if we're talking about the insula being kind of implicated in misophonia and misokinesia. I don't know. I don't know if there's been research on that. But with OCD, let's just briefly talk about that before the break. OCD, for most of you, probably know a little bit, a lot more about OCD, but OCD is caused by an intrusive thought or feeling. I say feeling because disgust and not feeling complete or feeling like it's not just right are included in that. And then the compulsion, the need to do or avoid something to get that brief relief. And so this is repetitive, avoiding, repetitive doing to get that brief relief. But the more they do or the more they avoid, the bigger the intrusive thought or feeling grows in a suspicious circle. That's OCD. Now, OCD will take things that are uncomfortable and will make compulsions around it. And so I have had kids where they have had migraines, legitimate migraines, and then they would develop compulsions to ward off or prevent migraines. So you can see where OCD is a hijacker. So when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about how OCD hijacks misophonia and misokinesia, and how do we help our kids who have both? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. 
different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Well, welcome back. Okay, so let's break this down. When we're talking about misophonia and misokinesia, really it's adaptive skills. And so there is no silver bullet answer that I have seen yet for those struggles. I have seen a lot of OCD therapists do exposure for misophonia. As a person who has misophonia, I could listen to a horrible sound and never acclimate to that and never learn how to sit with the discomfort. It will never habituate for me. And so I did not use exposures in my own practice because as a sufferer myself, I know firsthand that it didn't habituate and I didn't see it habituating with the kids that I've worked with. And so instead I moved more towards adaptive skills, learning how to block the sound, learning how to know your triggers, learning how to improve your relationships, learning how to um, do the things that you care about and you value while protecting those ears so you're not triggered or visually, right? And so um, how do you move away from things that are happening visually? And sometimes you can't. So how do you cope with that? What are some grounding techniques or how do you not focus on that? How do you hone in on the fact that you're starting to focus on that and your brain is starting to really hone in on it. Like I said, a heat seeking missile, that's how it feels for me. And I can sense that happening. And can I pull myself out of that? And that's a skill, um, learning mindfulness and learning grounding techniques. Those are all really helpful with misophonia and misokinesia. So a lot of coping mechanisms going on with that. We don't do that as much with OCD. Mindfulness is very helpful with OCD. But the goal is not to prevent the discomfort on some level. The goal is to learn how to sit with discomfort. So it's actually almost the opposite of what I would necessarily do with someone with misophonia or misokinesia. And so OCD will get its claws into these other issues by saying, oh my gosh, you know, that person often triggers me with misophonia. And so that person becomes an identified contaminated person. This is when it gets into the world of OCD. OCD will say, we can't touch anything they touch or we can't, it goes beyond just 
that person scares me and I don't want to be near them because what if they, you know, chew in a really loud way, that person can become a contaminant. And so everything that the person touches can be contaminated. And so then we're dealing with emotional contamination, but that is based on the trigger of misophonia or misokinesia. So it's interesting how OCD is so opportunistic and will hijack these issues and, and overlap them. And so when we're dealing with contamination, or let me think of some other examples for you, there might be some magical thinking. And so maybe I have to do certain things or say certain things in order to ward off being triggered by misophonia or misokinesia. So that could be something that's happening as well. I often find that contamination is a much more common one that people, people become contaminated or environments become contaminated or situations, situations become contaminated. And so there's that overlap, but you want to look at is disgust playing a part in that? Do they have disgust themes in other areas? I have worked with a couple of people with misophonia where their OCD issue was disgust. And so they had misophonia. They might've had misokinesia. Not every person I've worked with with misophonia has the movement aspect of it, but then they were diagnosed with OCD, but the OCD theme that they had was disgust, which then makes you wonder, just talking out loud, is it just a main problem with the insula in their brain that's like causing that overwhelming feeling of disgust, a hyperactivity in the insula causing disgust. And so it really is one problem because with disgust themed OCD, the main compulsion is actually avoidance. And then a little bit of contamination, like if the idea of dust or dirt grosses me out and it's disgusting, then I don't want to touch any doorknobs. And then what if I accidentally touched dust and then I touch my book bag Now I can't touch my book bag. My book bag actually touched my bed and now my bed is contaminated, but it all comes back to the core fear of it's just gross. Not that I'm going to get sick, not that it's got a germ on it, not that I'm going to throw up, nothing like that, but just it's gross, which goes back to just the overwhelming feeling of disgust, which actually goes back to the insula. Kind of interesting, right? Who knows? Food for thought. But then what do we do with that? Um, The first step is, you know, dealing with the misophonia and misokinesia, like we talked about before, but then educating them on OCD. And the more we avoid someone and the more, you know, they're contaminated, the more the OCD will grow. And so kind of goes back into classic OCD approaches to address the OCD component. Now there has been some talk and I did do a whole podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, I believe on discussed OCD in particular and talking about how there had been some discussion around discussed OCD themes being treated differently than other OCD themes, partly because one therapist speculated that because it's impacting the insula and not, he said the amygdala, but that actually OCD is not in the amygdala. OCD is in the basal ganglia, but he suspected, or he hypothesized, there's no research on this at all, that it's not habituating or, you know, exposures are not making it better because it's in the insula and not in the actual part of the brain that's causing OCD, which is actually the basal ganglia, not the amygdala. But that was interesting. And so I did do a whole podcast episode on that because the argument would be, well, then really doing exposures around the things that gross them out wouldn't be that effective. You'd want to actually just get them to do the things that they want to do, kind of more of an ACT approach, acceptance commitment therapy, where they move towards the things that they care about and accommodate in any way that they need to, to get through it. And so, you know, if they need to wear gloves to touch something, they do it. Or if they need to, you know, whatever it is that the feeling is around the disgust, they kind of 
accommodated on some level just to be able to master the idea of doing the thing they care about. That's his idea. This is a Richard Gallagher. He wrote an article for the International OCD Foundation. It's just from his own lived experience. There's no research on this, but it is interesting stuff when we look at that in relation to misophonia and misokinesia as well. Okay, just look back and just pause my recording for a second because I wanted to see when was that recorded. That is episode 341, Helping Kids with Discussed OCD Themes. So if you're interested in that, you can just look for that title in your wherever you consume your podcast, or you can actually just go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com and you can go scroll all the way down to the bottom. And if you just type in on the search button at the very bottom, Discussed OCD, it will pop up. And actually, if I ever talk about anything and I say I have a podcast on that, my website's the best option because I have a search feature and you can find it. And you can actually listen to those podcast episodes on my website as well. So you can actually watch it on YouTube, but you won't see anything. It's just a thumbnail of a podcast. (laughs) But different ways that you can kind of find these resources. You know, I don't know about the idea of over-accommodating disgust. I think you have to be really careful with that because I don't want my child wearing a complete space suit to be able to do things that gross them out. My youngest does have a lot of disgust themes. And so that is a big part of her OCD, but she has a hard time doing the dishes and she won't do the dishes. And we've been doing exposures towards getting her used to doing the dishes because I want her to be a functioning adult and not an annoying roommate when she's older. One of the things that I did after I heard Richard Gallagher and a couple of other people talking about discussed OCD at the OCD conference is I did buy her gloves, kitchen gloves to do the dishes. A lot of people use kitchen gloves. So it's not like a really weird over accommodating behavior. And she doesn't have to touch the gross stuff in order to be able to do the dishes. And then she's able to function and do the dishes. And so she was way on board about that and was happy. But we also have people who are washing and washing and overwashing and overwashing, and we don't want to accommodate that. I don't want to say, it's okay, you can go and touch this or do that, and then you have to, and then you can wash for five hours. That's not, I don't think that's what he's saying, but I don't think that would be very helpful either. So it's a slippery slope. But teaching our kids what OCD is in general and how it is taking their misophonia or their uh, misokinesia and hijacking it and making it a thing is really helpful. I'll give you another example. You know, I had worked with a kid once who ketchup was disgusting for them. And so if they saw ketchup or if they saw people eating ketchup, it grossed them out. So kind of a combination again of misophonia, like seeing it in their mouth, right? Those oral facial cues are, are triggering for people with misophonia, like seeing it is very triggering. Even if they're not hearing it, their brain will hear it or just the the sight of it can cause that stress. But then the OCD hijacked that for this particular kid, and that kid could not go into the kitchen because the kitchen had ketchup, so the kitchen was contaminated, couldn't go and eat with the family members in the, in the dining room, and so they had to eat separately because they might eat ketchup, and ketchup was gross. And so you can see where there was this issue that was kind of clearly misophonia, and then it kind of grew into disgust OCD in general. And so my daughter is similar to that. You know, she, when she is making her sandwich and she's putting ketchup, I don't know why she likes ketchup and mayonnaise on her ham sandwich. That is her. And she has to use one knife for the ketchup, one knife for the mayonnaise. And initially she couldn't even, she didn't want to make a sandwich at all. And so the work that we did was moving her towards being able to make a sandwich and she's allowed to use two different knives. That's okay. As long as it's not growing out of control. 
right? So if I saw her bringing three knives and four knives because this one accidentally touched the ketchup and I can't have that, and then five knives and six knives, now we're out of control. But if you say, you know what, I only want one, I want one knife for the ketchup and one knife for the mayonnaise, and then I don't feel as gross. It's still hard for me to make the sandwich, but I'm going to do it. That's okay for me, you know? So it's finding that middle ground and that, that ability to function. So when we smush these all together, a lot of it is adaptive skills and education on the OCD component, especially when it gets into the emotional contamination, then we're in really dangerous territory because it could really balloon out of control. Well, I hope you found this conversation helpful. I think it's a really good topic that I haven't covered before. And it's something that a lot of us are dealing with, with our kids. And we don't even realize it. We might just kind of chalk it up to OCD or be like, I don't know why they're having a hard time when they touch paper or touch tissues. I've had people have a hard time with the sound of tissues or um, papers in a book, right? Stuff like that. Leg tapping, all that stuff. So now the picture becomes a little bit clearer when you're like, oh, okay, I get it. These, These things overlap. And they're often hanging out together along with a bunch of other stuff. So I hope that you find my podcast helpful in general. And if you are, you know, I really appreciate it when you leave a link and show your support by rating the show. And that really does help other parents recognize that this is a useful tool. And I really appreciate those of you that take the time to write a review. I like to show my gratitude by reading one of them. I'm just looking at it to see if there are any that I haven't read. I don't think I read this one from, I'm pretty sure I wrote, I read this one, Bido Empire, but I'll read it again because I'm not 100% sure. My memory, oh my goodness. Helpful and practical podcast. This podcast sets itself apart by its friendly, empathetic style and useful, applicable information. It's not a bunch of background or theoretical research about OCD. It's practical day-to-day advice. Natasha Daniels is a wonderful host who's been there. And if you listen, she lives it every day. It's so true. Um, Highly recommended for any parents struggling to help their kids make progress. I don't think I've read that before. So thank you for writing that review. I really appreciate it. And then I want to thank Cheryl, who's a mom of six, who wrote, Dr. Natasha is inspiring. Listening to her podcast makes me feel empowered with tools when I previously had felt guidance and a plan were completely lacking. The amount of topics covered is remarkable. Thank you for sharing with us. I'm happy to share, and I'm glad you find my resources helpful. We do have a lot of, this is episode 344, so I cover a lot, and so there are topics on pretty much everything. Sometimes I'm like, what am I going to talk about? But there's always something. So if you write a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time, and don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do, and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 